This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for December 19th, 2023. Oh my God, the year is over. Your regular announcer, Leona, is visiting family in the UK, and I'm Danielle, the sub. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the pharma industry's purpose, process, and people, and today we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Impress is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Impress tailored best-in-class solutions at www.impress.com. Our guest today is Andrea Schwartz. Andrea is commercial lead at Beijing, Canada, and she will speak with your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. Now it's time to start the last conversation of 2023. Here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your host, Mitch Shannon, here with you again in our podcast gondola high atop Pill Hill with a spectacular view of where the Ozempic Rotunda crosses Benzedrine Boulevard. We're here in the hot stove lounge as 2023 inevitably winds down. What a year it's been. I guess the best we can say is that uh, artificial intelligence has not taken our jobs yet. And that's probably because unlike AI, we work for tips, or I do at least. And whenever the word tips is mentioned, we turn to our co-host, James Shea. Jim is the general manager at the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. And he will have tips aplenty on how to navigate the holiday season. Jim, we're awaiting some guidance from you. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, right away, here's the tip to survive, and that is get direction from your domestic senior management. And uh, you, if you are the domestic CEO, then give that direction because we subordinates have absolutely no clue what's happening over, let's say, the next 10 days. The domesticated CEO, yes. I don't think I've met any of those, but... Uh... Another source of practical advice is our co-host, Mr. Mark McElwain, the pharmaceutical industry consultant, health policy excerpt, and curator of practical advice on how not to fail at this time of year. Marcus, what do you have for our listeners? Well, on a similar theme, I mean, let's look at the life cycle of attitudes to the holidays. You know, little kids love it, bigger kids love it more when the presents get bigger. My in-laws in their 80s, they love it because they don't have any of the prep to do. The adult kids who left home, they still love it. They don't act like kids much these days, except at Christmas when they want everything to be exactly the same. So that leaves us folks in the middle, sometimes dreading a food service and event planning challenge that resembles putting on a medium-sized conference that lasts several days. But sooner or later, that prep torch passes. So there's always something to look forward to. Words of wisdom from our wise man. We uh, are your all-knowing NPC podcast hosts, known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the best brand names have already been claimed, such as Hickory Farms, Gift Baskets, The Clapper, and best of all, Beijing. 
Uh, Andrea, that's your cue to come on into the gondola and join us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mitch, Mark, and Jim. Happy to be here. Well, Andrea, you are the commercial lead in Canada at Beijing. Please tell our listeners about your organization and what goes on. Sure, I'd be happy to. So Beijing actually was founded back in 2010 by two Americans, which is John Euler and Dr. Wang. They had this shared vision that they wanted to find cancer treatments that were affordable and accessible for everyone. It's one of the things that attracted me to the organization, not just for the wealthy countries, but everywhere. And basically what they did was they used their connections and they raised investments to get the company off the ground. And as you guys know, drug development is very risky and expensive, but they really wanted to do things differently. And they wanted to collaborate in new markets, and Canada was one of them. And their mission was clear that they wanted to build a next-generation biotech company through courage, persistent innovation, and challenging the status quo. And I was fortunate enough to join Beijing Canada and launch the commercial team in Canada during the pandemic, which was interesting. And we launched with Burkinza, which is a second-generation BTK inhibitor in 2021, and we only had one indication. And today I'm proud to say that we have four indications with a fifth on the way. We have a very strong hematology pipeline with more molecules that will be launched in the future, along with a solid tumor team. And when I started Beijing in 2021, we had about 5,000 employees globally. And today we have grown to be this fully integrated biotech company. We have over 10,000 employees covering five continents. And we have one of the world's largest research teams, massive internal clinical development, and an in-house manufacturing capability that has expanded to a new campus now in New Jersey. So it's a really exciting time for me to be part of this, what we call startup biotech company here in Canada. Andrea, it's Mark. We see that Beijing has been authorized to market for the last two and a half years in Canada for a growing list of oncology indications. You've got more filings on the way. I wonder if you can look forward and give us an overview of your firm's commercial strategy for the next few years. Yeah, so I'm in charge of the hematology strategy. So we are currently looking at bringing new molecules in, similar to Brukinza. Not so much, I would say, new, but better. So what Beijing's really great at is bringing new medications in that are better and improved. So from a strategic point of view, we do have a strong pipeline coming in the next few years. The solid tumor is just starting. We just hired our commercial lead, Jason Bonneman. So he's starting to run with that. But for me specifically, I'm focused more on uh, the hematology side. Great. Let's take a look at your research pipeline. And it looks quite impressive to me. I'm just wondering, you know, there are other firms that are also looking in oncology. And I'm just wondering what, how you can describe what sets your company's approach in choosing research targets apart from the competitors. Yeah, so Beijing does a lot of, I would say, partnerships with other pharma companies. And what they're really trying to do is be seen as a leader specifically in oncology. So there's not too many companies out there, I'd say, in the research and development side that are purely focused on oncology specific. So we're looking at covering possibly 80% of the world's oncology diseases out there. So to me, that's exciting because when you look at the research and development, we're so focused on it that we want to be seen as that organization that is known in Canada and globally as being a truly oncology company. So that's where they're really focusing. A lot of the other companies dabble in different areas, but we're sticking purely in oncology. 
that's amazing. It's Jim here. I'm going to uh, take this opportunity because um, a few years back, CCP did a benchmark study on women leaders in Canadian pharma. And I just got an update uh, version of it uh, on the weekend, and I'm taking a look at it now. So I'm going to ask you some questions that are, you know, off topic of Beijing, but certainly related directly to you as a woman leader in Canadian pharma. So, and I've been looking at the content and something comes up to me is like, we need to encourage more, more women to become leader, to go through career advancement. So what are the steps necessary to encourage more women to pursue leadership roles in pharma these days? Yeah, it's a great question. And I actually get asked this very often from a lot of women. They reach out to me and ask me kind of, you know, advice on this. And I'm still amazed today when I speak to a lot of them, because one of the first questions I ask them is, well, how many people know about this, that you want to kind of advance your career? And it's interesting because a lot of women haven't told many people. So I always start there that, you know, you need to own it, you know, be very clear on where you want to go and what you want to do. And I look at it almost, you know, if you want to pursue leadership roles, and to be honest, it's not only within pharma, but even outside, there's really a three-pronged approach. And I'm very passionate about this. So I believe that to do that, you need to have, number one, you need to have strong mentors around you. So really building your network, kind of like your network of advisors. And, you know, there's mentorship programs within organizations, there's mentorship programs externally. And there's ones you can just do organically, which I love to do. And I don't tell people half the time they're my mentor. So I'm a big believer that you need to have strong mentors. I also believe that it's very much worth an investment, especially as a woman, to get a coach and get clarity and ask you know, great questions to understand what are your strengths, what are your values, where you want to go and what you want to do. And the third aspect I always say is you do need sponsors and allyship. So, you know, who are those people talking about you? behind the closed doors and what does that look like? So I just really believe, you know, if you want to advance your career and you want to pursue leadership roles in pharma, you have to own it. You have to build your brand, what's your value proposition, and you have to have a plan in place. So I I talk to a lot of women about that because a lot of them don't sometimes know they have this, you know, goal or vision, but they don't really know how to get there. And they don't tell people. So to me, it's always like if a posting comes up or a job comes up, whether internal or external, you know, the more people that know and know you, the more that they'll reach out to you and they can help support you. So it's a journey and it, it takes time, but that's kind of the advice that I'd love to give people, especially women. That's great. I hope there's a lot of women out there listening to this. Yeah. And the other thing too, is there's such an amazing talent pool out there, you know, in the women cohort and certainly different perspectives that women bring in their, their life experiences. So In your experience, you know, what are some of those unique perspectives and or strengths that women can bring to the the industry and, you know, not even our industry, but anywhere that they are? Yeah, so it's interesting. So, you know, for women specifically, first of all, I want to say, like, I really value the strengths that both men and women bring to an organization. I feel we're very much created differently and we have unique perspectives. In my career, when I look back, I've had men and women who have helped and support me. And what's interesting, because I was reflecting on this talk today, when I look at the individuals who have given me a chance on leadership opportunities as I progress, it's actually been all men. And it doesn't mean that women haven't helped me, 
but it's been more of the men that have given me that opportunity. So to me, it's a real strong calling as a female leader that we need to support women to help advance their career, which brings us back to your question on what's our unique strength. So from a female perspective, you know, going a little personal here, but I did grow up in a home full of women. My mom was a single mother, raised four girls. So I learned very early on kind of the strengths that a woman can bring. And I would say one of the main strengths in leadership is how women show great empathy and compassion. And they're different. And so I like to explain this to people. So empathy is really that feeling like, you know, you feel sad for somebody or you feel sorry for them or you're mad with them. But compassion is really doing something about it. And this strength was very clearly highlighted, I would say, during the pandemic. And it became our superpower. So, for example, I was a leader during this time. I was managing a team. I had three children at home. I had an elderly patient at home as well. And on top of that, I decided to make a career change during the pandemic. So, yes, I'm crazy. But what I saw at the time was that there was such uncertainty and fear. I became this very empathetic and compassionate leader. And it truly helped me kind of strengthen things. And what I did was I just really leaned in and really tried to understand and help people. And even if you look globally, there was a lot of female leaders that really stood out during this time. And what I love is that today, so post-pandemic, we're actually seeing these new leaders emerging. They have kind of a different skill set, values, and strengths. And where I like to link it back is actually the next generation that's emerging. They're really putting a strong emphasis, as we know, on work-life balance, remote work, flexibility things like that. So they are actually looking post-pandemic at those type of leaders as they're joining organizations. So for me as a woman, I really feel that's the one strength that I have seen. And it's it's kind of refreshing to kind of see it emerging. But I do absolutely value and see the complement of both, you know, the male and female because we're different, right? And that's the beauty of it. I pick a couple of things out there. You know, one was the idea of the next generation and, you know, and and young women. And I guess I could have a question here because I've been talking to a lot of, we'll call experts in women's career and coaching and development. And one of the things is sports for young women. And the other thing is encouraging young women and girls to get into the sciences where, you know, historically that hasn't been something. And, and I saw at the recent convocation for my son that, uh, you know, I, I would say it's 60-40 now, women, men in the science side, just looking at the people who are parading across. So, you know, how can us as the pharmaceutical sector who needs human resources coming in, encourage women and young girls to get into the sciences? So for me personally, I'm at that stage of my career and personally that I actually have children entering into university. And my network, I would say, of, you know, friends and family, these are, you know, teens, young adults going into university and starting their careers. So I do feel, I keep talking about this responsibility that as a leader in Canada, I really want to encourage and support that for the next generation. I think a lot of it honestly has to do with awareness. Like when I was in university, I didn't even know about this industry, which is crazy. So what I would love to see our industry get more involved with is really around, you know, awareness and advocating at Canadian University, you know, are we providing, you know, appropriate internship opportunities? Are we out there networking with the younger generation, job fairs, mentorship programs, things like that? 
even though at Beijing we're small in Canada, I have gone through the last two years and I have been hiring co-op students and we are very present with the next generation and I'm very involved with that. So to me, I feel like we all need to own it and we need to continue to build that awareness of our industry. And I have two girls and one boy. So, so for my children, it's the same thing. Like I'm always telling my girls specifically, like getting them interested in, in science and research and math and STEM, right? So it's very important, but I think it's up to us to raise that awareness and really encourage and, and help the next generation coming through. We're chatting with Andrea Schwartz of Beijing here on the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress. So Andrea, you mentioned your mother's an entrepreneur and you've grown up observing these values in action. A lot of people talk about wanting to be entrepreneurial and there's a lot of TV shows that encourage that thinking. Uh, but do you think things such as uh, risk-taking can be taught or do you just need to jump in? Great question. So so risk-taking is interesting. When you really dig deep into risk-taking and you ask people, why are they not taking risks? And we always talk about calculate risk, but let's talk about it. They've done that whole analysis. It's, you know, if they take this risk, they're calculating it, trying to figure it out. I actually find a lot of what holds people back is really the fear. So it's the fear. There's other things to uncover, right? It's like the fear of failure. So I always ask people, and this is kind of a process I went through myself was, you know, instead of saying, what if I take this risk and it fails? Ask yourself the other question. What if I take this risk and it's better for me? What if I take this risk and it's better for me and my family? What if I take this risk and it's better for my career? And I think when you change the narrative and you start to ask yourself those questions, you'll find the answer. So risk-taking, I think some people are more like genetically open to it, but I do think you can also learn it as well. I mean, look at what I did. It took me a long time to get there, but I did take a risk and I, I left the industry and did something different. But I don't think if I hadn't made that move, I don't think I'd be where I am today at Beijing. So although I went there and I quickly found out, no, this isn't for me. I learned a lot. I took it with me and it helped me get the next role. So there's always positives. There's always things you can learn. So risk taking to me, it's really, you know, uh, you know, uncovering that fear, asking yourself other questions and making sure you have a support network around you to support if things don't go as well and what can you do to kind of recover. So I love risk taking. It's something that I love to think about and talk about. It is calculated, but, and entrepreneurs like, we know, I think it's like one to 5% are successful. So, but people learn. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, when you talk to them, where they end up getting, they wouldn't have gotten there had they not taken those risks and, and you know, kind of pushed through those fears and figured it out. So, yeah. Andrea, it's Mark again. So we hear that uh, one of your daughters is training to become a nurse practitioner. You know, we're wondering how her journey has influenced your perception of healthcare and the pharma industry. Yeah, so I would say I've been in the industry just over 20 years now, and I've seen a huge shift in the healthcare industry, as all of you have. And finding a family physician today is so challenging. You know, we have physicians that are retiring, we have less graduates, we have more immigrants coming to Canada, people moving. There's so many reasons why you can't find a GP. And our healthcare system is really leaning more on allied health to support the care. So for my daughter, she did actually make that assessment. Should I become a GP or nurse practitioner? And, you know, having me as her mom, which I know I can be annoying to her sometimes, talking, coaching and mentoring her through it as we looked at what some of her strengths were and the work she loves to do. She quickly realized, I think I want to become a nurse practitioner. 
So that road is still a journey for her as she's figuring it out. But what I've noticed is that in that journey with the nurse practitioners, in pharma specifically, we are still so focused on physicians. And it's something I'm always, you know, talking about and probably screaming about is that we need to be focused also on allied health because that is the kind of the future. That's where the growth is happening. And I'm reminding my team of that. Like we need to be calling on all the allied health, the nurse practitioner, the nurses, the pharmacists, because it's not just about the GPs anymore or the physicians. So in Canada, I think to fill that healthcare gap, we're going to need more nurse practitioners. And for my daughter, it's crazy because it was hard to get into the program only because there wasn't as many clinical placements for her. But in the future, she wants to, you know, move into that nurse practitioner, which is her route. You know, there's different universities now that are looking at almost offering, you know, that for free in more remote areas because they can't get nurse practitioners to work there. So there's opportunities for them to learn and grow. So it's just opened my eyes to our healthcare system, but also as an industry, are we paying attention to the right customers and what does that look like in the future? Okay, well, it's Jim here, and uh, we're as we wind this thing down, we're going to be inviting you to play our word association game. So, uh, you know, here it is. All the pressure's on you now, but you're a risk taker. You're going to do it. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to, uh, you know, the following words or phrases. In this case, they're going to be words. So let's start. Leadership. Vision. Mentorship. Guidance. Empowerment. Strength. Entrepreneurship. Innovation. Accessibility. Uh, universal. Well, uh, we've been secretly taking notes back here and awarding points, and that's pretty impressive. The tote board is still spinning. So uh, what do you think, guys? That's an infinite amount of points for that. Yeah, so, well, and you know, finally, it's uh, my pleasure to uh, go to one of the, the very important sections of this is, you know, put on your soothsayer's hat and enter our prognostication corner. And certainly corner spelt with a K because you know what? Slow K just gets no respect anymore with our uh, modern anti-hypertensives. So what bold predictions will you make about the life sciences and the industry as we go forward in the next 12 to 24 months? So I would say not so much a bold prediction, but I'm going to say my bold wish or hope is that pharma will continue to evolve to be seen as an integral part of the healthcare system. I really believe that we need to better partner with, you know, government, regulatory bodies, HCPs, allied health, even patients. I would love to see us, you know, as an industry, continue to support policy changes that we need to push and bring these medications faster to Canadians who need the most. Our healthcare system is evolving so quickly, and we need to be at the forefront of this change and truly be seen as that valued partner to improve the system not only for Canada, but for all of Canadians. So it really is my bold wish and something that really drives me every day in my job. Well, may that wish be fulfilled. That'd be great. Absolutely. That's a Christmas wish for everyone. Andrea, thanks for spending some time with us today. You know, I, I just, just happened to remember that many years ago, we met this fellow who also had something to do with Beijing, Canada. You may have run into him. He used to be on this uh, podcast every now and then. And some people thought he did a pretty good job. Can't think of his name right now, but you were way better than he was. <laughs> oh, jeez. Make sure you tell him that. <laughs> anyway, great seeing you, Andrew. Have a terrific holiday break. Jim, Mark, any parting words before we wrap things up for 2023? Well, to me, I think it's going to be, I'm going to have to have a meeting later today with my domestic CEO. 
wrapping things up. Oh yeah, there's still more wrapping to do. Rapmaster Mark will have the last word. So uh, to all of you out there in NPC podcast land, we thank you for listening. We'll be back to speak to you again in 2024. If you've got questions or comments for Andrea, please send an email to health at chronicle.org. So send your comments. And when 2024 rolls around, your voice might just become part of a future episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and make a point of sharing it with your network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, or to keep things simple, just ask your smart device to play the National Pharmaceutical Congress podcast on Audible, Spotify, Amazon Music, or TuneIn Radio. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.impress.com. As for me, this is your announcer, Danielle Swell, and I'm ready to call it all finished and done for this year. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser, and he was assisted by Amy Ray Elder. Research for this program came from Sidney John Baptiste. The musical theme is performed with seasonal gusto by the NPC Podcast Orchestra under the direction of Maestro Claus Milbrook. We'll be back to speak with you again next year.